Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. Today's show is sponsored by Mikasa Home Inspections, Calgary's top-rated home inspection company. Mikasa understands that the highest quality of service is essential, so make sure to call Mikasa before your next real estate deal. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hi guys, Corey Peckford here. Today I had a great conversation with an amazing couple, Patrick and Alicia, who work together as an investment team. I really like how they bring different skills and abilities to the table and how they take advantage of those differences. Basically, together they make up their own power team. So with their first investment property, they did most of the renovations themselves, and they were very strategic in how to do those renovations. They didn't over-renovate, and it was based on their location and tenant profile that they were looking for. I think you'll really enjoy today's podcast. Hi, Patrick and Alicia. Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. Great to have you guys today. Could we just start off, you guys just tell me about yourself and how you got into real estate investing? First off, thanks for having us, Corey. We really appreciate it. So most of my career has been spent doing labor jobs, a lot of everything, construction, concrete work. I work up north in the oil and gas industry right now. That's kind of my background. And I played a lot of sports and was very active as well growing up. I'm Alicia and I work full-time as a marketing manager for a private lender. I'm also a licensed realtor in Alberta. And yeah, we invest in rental properties on the side from our jobs. And yeah, I would say how we got started in it. Okay. So it was a couple of years ago, two years ago, and we were both very unhappy in our nine to five jobs, like very miserable. And one night we were driving home, I think from her parents' place. And she mentioned that she had been talking to a friend about somebody that does real estate investing and asked me if I'd ever be interested in that potentially doing a fix and flip. I think it was at the time is what we were talking about specifically because I have a lot of hands-on labor work. And she's like, we could come at this from a team perspective. You could handle the renovation side of things. And with her background, she could handle more of the business side of things. Right. Yeah. And um, that's a great way to tackle both sides of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's kind of where it began was with that conversation. And it's grown into a lot more than that, what that initial conversation was. But yeah, that's where it started. Oh, cool. Let's talk about your first investment property. If you guys could tell me kind of how that came about and just, you know, some background in that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so we, I think, bought the first one in March of 2020, I believe. And it was a semi-detached duplex. So it had a legal suite already in the basement but it needed a lot of work. We'd planned to renovate the whole thing and actually live in it while we were renovating. So yeah, not only were we doing the renovations ourselves, but we lived through the chaos of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was in bad shape, but like the structure and the bones of it were still pretty good. It wasn't going to require like a full down to the studs gut, basically just updating kitchens, updating bathrooms and flooring, kind of a new paint. So the reason we went for that one was because it was the right amount of work that we could add value to it through sweat equity, but not overwhelming as our first property. And it's, it's yeah. in the community of bonus. So the standard of renovation there isn't too high. Like we were aware that if we went in and added brand new quartz countertops, uh, really nice kitchens, the ARV just isn't there for that. So what we did instead was we just painted the cabinet, sanded them down, added shaker style panels, I guess, on them. Things like that, that we just did on our own that saved us money, but also was enough work to attract the tenant pool that's in Boness. A good quality one, but 
yeah, we had that in mind while we were renovating. Smart. It's actually quite a mix of properties in Bonas right now. That's like true. Yes. Beautiful yeah. brand new infills and it can be, you know, just such a variety of properties there. There's that new farmer's market as well, right? I'm sure that's going to add value to Bonas. Yeah. And there was a, a superstore that opened just down the road, I think a week or two ago too. And there was a severe lack of grocery stores in that area before. Mm. It's open now. That's awesome. Yeah. I that. Yeah. I think so. Anyways. Yeah. So you guys renovate it. Was there a tenant in the basement and then you renovate the upstairs? How did that work out? Like, where did you have it vacant while you renovate it? Like the lower level? So we didn't in this case, we ended up doing all the renovations kind of, well, we focused on one suite and then did the other suite, but it was like I had mentioned earlier, like it was in such bad shape that we weren't prepared to rent out one while we worked in the other one. Not only that, but we were also living in it. So it was like very hard to have to live because it was 850 square feet, two bedroom, one bath. It's very hard to live in that and renovate that at the same time. So having the basement suite there as well too kind of helped us along being able to put tools down there, um, all sorts of materials and stuff, right? So that yeah. said though, we tore up the drywall in, in the shower downstairs and upstairs and, and we didn't have a workable bathroom. So we had to go to my parents' house to shower at one point. So I think if <laughs> oh, we no. did that again, we would do it different. <laughs> yeah, you do the one and like you said, like live in the one, do the other one and you know, move. That's a great way, great strategy to do it. For sure. Yeah. So yeah. older property, like what kind of age are we talking for a property? Do you guys remember? Uh, 1972 and it's a semi-detached. So there's another side to it as well too, that we don't own. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Did you guys find that property on MLS or was it off market when you found it? It was on MLS and it was actually kind of a, not the peak of the market, but it was definitely when things were starting to get pretty hot. So there was quite a few competing offers on it. So that was kind of our first property that we bought as an investment or just a property in general. So it was kind of a really good learning lesson to buy something in that kind of situation. Yeah. And the day we bought it, I had to head up to work up North and I actually didn't get to see the property before we bought it. Alicia went and looked at it earlier in the day. We decided it was right for us and we put in the offer and later that night happened to get it. And it like, nice. it happened really fast. It was pretty exciting and it was a little bit nerve wracking for me because I, you know, as the partner who was going to be doing a lot of the hands-on work and having to deal with a lot of the renovation, not getting to see it beforehand was a little bit daunting. But on that same note too, it might've been a little bit better because having seen some of these properties, I probably would have said absolutely not. That's way, way out of my, uh, my realm of possibility. So in a way it might've actually been good that I didn't see it. <laughs> so was it pretty original then? Like from was it like the seventies windows and the kitchen and all that stuff had it been updated, I guess. So in terms of the windows and kind of the bigger ticket items, those weren't really in bad shape. It was more of just, you know, kitchen cosmetic, like the countertops, the flooring needed to be done. The paint was terrible. There was every color possible in there. Just things like that that were simple for us to fix and wouldn't be too expensive. I think in the end, we ended up spending around 30000 including all of our tools that we purchased. So it was actually a very low rental cost. Granted, we did it ourselves, but yeah. it's still, yeah. Perfect starting entry property, really, for an investor, right? You're looking for an opportunity like that, like a Burr strategy. Yeah. Yes, it was. It was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's been obviously a good investment. You've got it rented and it's been... Uh, yes, yes. It's been a very good investment. And it's actually done a lot better than we thought it was going to do. Like even at the time when we bought it, I don't think we had run the numbers quite properly on it. Like we didn't figure it was going to be that... Yeah, we, yeah, we, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. 
Yes, we did. <laughs> I, I ran the numbers. Okay. She, she did that part of it. I, I was not in on that part. But um, it's been an awesome property. And on that same note, like we find that the semi-detached, like the half duplex with the suite in the basements of them are some of the best investment properties that you can get in Calgary. And you said this one was legal. It wasn't illegal. It was actually recognized by the city already. It was, yes. They had gone through the process of legalizing it already. It was just, you could tell that it had been neglected, basically. Okay. Yeah, apparently yeah. there was a squatter in there before we had possession of it. So you can kind of see what kind of condition it was from that. And the person who owned it, you know, moved down to the States and just didn't want to have anything to do with owning an investment property anymore. So yeah, it was neglected for sure. There was actually one time where I was home during the day, like doing renovations on it. And the police had come and knocked on the door. I had seen them a couple of times in the weeks prior to that sitting outside and they finally came and knocked on the door one day. We've got the place basically fully, you know, torn apart at this point. And they were looking for a specific individual saying that he was claiming that this was still his house address. So we figured that that was the squatter. I just said like, no, there's definitely nobody living here, but you're welcome to come take a look at all my renovations I'm doing right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was kind of like to put into perspective the shape and like the quality of people that had been in the place prior to us getting it. Yeah, yeah. So what are some other learnings? You said about the bathroom, like obviously that's a learning, not tearing out two bathrooms <laughs> during the rental, right? What are some other things you guys learned taking this on and doing it? Yeah. So specifically renovation wise, like if you're looking at a renovation and a takeaway from a renovation, we redid the one bathroom completely. And I don't know why we thought we had to save money, but we left the original tub in there because it was still in good condition. Even though I had pulled out all the surround around it, we had redone everything else in there. And like hindsight, we probably should like at that point, if you're gutting the whole bathroom, probably should have just replaced the tub as well too. That was definitely like a, a renovation one anyways. But, uh, I think more importantly than that, though, was like one of the biggest takeaways was the time consumption, the amount of time you're putting into it and just how consuming it can be right all the time. Like we really wanted to make it work. We were very motivated. Therefore, I was spending, you know, 12, 14 hour days working nonstop, you know, hardly taking breaks just to try and make it work and try and get it done in a reasonable time. Yeah. So that like the deal would work out good for us. Right. So yeah, and I, I think just to add on to that, we underestimated the kind of toll it would take on us mentally living in the renovation zone again, just, I don't know, I was working, you know, my nine to five and then coming home and seeing all that chaos and you're in it doing all that work. <laughs> and it's like, we can't get away from it. We can't relax afterwards. We just look around and say like, there's this much stuff to do tomorrow and you don't get to go home from your renovation. So I think that was kind of a wake up call for us that we didn't realize it was going to impact us that much. Yeah, for sure. I've done a live in rental before, but at that point I was living on my own so I could handle the chaos. Mm -hmm. But uh, as partners, I think it'd be really challenging. Like to, yeah. you know, if you throw kids in the equation too, then it's just like another level of I can't um, even imagine. Yeah. yeah. Like then, you know, to be in that space with you got all the equipment, tools around and things torn apart. Yeah. Yeah. Chaos. Chaos is stressful for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Investors always want some sort of edge, you know, with the market. If we could just talk about like the Calgary market, what do you guys see happening? You know, the current conditions, that kind of thing. 
Yeah. So we actually listed that bonus unit. We had a turnover in it and we listed it for rent a couple of weeks ago. We increased the rent by $150 a month. So it's $1,450 for the upstairs now. And we had just, I think, under 200 people interested in the unit. Um, we posted it on Facebook Marketplace and Rent Faster, and we just could not keep up with the inquiries. And so this was our first time that we decided to go about dealing with it by setting up kind of an open house, but only with people who we'd pre-screened and qualified because we just physically couldn't answer everyone. It's just us doing it. So that just kind of shows what the market is doing right now. And it was a lot of Ontario and BC people who were applying that were about to move here, which we've been hearing, but it was just very interesting to see it firsthand. Yeah. So to go back around on your question, I think as an investor, when you look at the rental market here, it's like, for the last you know, 10, 15 years, it's been very much in favor of tenants and of the people looking for the properties. Whereas now as the landlord is starting to go a little more in favor of them, right? I think you know we had touched on it earlier about like the market kind of pulling back a little bit. What I see there being a problem and a challenge moving forward is that the Calgary market and Alberta market compared to the other markets in Canada, your Ontario, you know, Vancouver, Toronto areas, stuff like that. The Calgary market has not pulled back as much as those have. So one of the challenges I really see here moving forward is that we have rising interest rates in a market that hasn't pulled back nowhere near as much as a lot of the other markets have. And I think it's going to be challenging to find good cash flowing properties where if you are financing a mortgage that it's going to provide a good cash flowing property here right because the market is not pulling back as much and it's starting to get more expensive to get a mortgage right now so it cuts into your cash flow for sure definitely yeah Yeah. so yeah any idea what the vacancy rate is right now i think i heard like less than one percent or something like yep that's what i heard too less than one percent and i definitely believe that yeah wow and did you guys allow pets i'm just curious did you allow pets yeah, so we actually okay. do allow pets, but I do a yeah. minimum or sorry, a maximum of one pet. Okay, because yeah. they say that about 35% of people own pets, right? So if you don't allow pets, you're cutting out that 35% of the rental population, right? Yeah, so. the way I look at it is uh, I think good people own pets and I don't really want to cut those people out. And I think that, you know, as long as you screen them properly, meet the pets and maybe get some references for them, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. For sure. And how many people did you kind of like whittle the 200 down to that actually come to the house? What did we have? I think 10 showings or sorry, 10 back to back. We did like five, 10 minute increments for an hour because we also didn't want to interrupt the current tenant too much. We asked, you know, can we set aside like an hour or two this evening and we'll do all our showings there. So it was easier for us. It was easier on her. And I think it was about 10 of them too. Yeah. 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 And on that note as well, too, like we did a very good job of even pre-screening those people before they came as well, right? One of the ways we did that, we mentioned that we had put up on Facebook Marketplace, one of our ads, and that can be very powerful because it allows you to go look at their social media profile right away. And you can learn a lot about somebody from their social media profile, right? Another thing we also like to do is include three questions in our listing. So in the listing itself, we'll have these three questions and then we'll say, please answer these three questions if you're interested in the property or interested in the unit. And what we had found was that about what 90%, probably maybe even a little bit higher 
90% of doesn't the, reply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 90% of the people interested in the property wanting to book a viewing or a showing would not answer the three questions. Either they didn't read far enough down, or maybe they thought they didn't have to, but either way, right away that in our mind eliminated, okay, they cannot follow a simple instruction. We don't think that we even want to show the property to these people. Right. And so it was a very easy way of like immediately screening people out, especially when you're facing like that many people replying to you. What were the three questions? Do you remember them? Yeah. It was, when are you looking to move in? Who's going to be moving in? And do you have any pets? Okay. So they weren't like, no, kind of normal questions. Yeah. They they give us a bit of insight into who's inquiring, but they also, like you said, prove if they're going to read the whole listing and take the time to answer them. So it's kind of twofold in our goal in that. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. And then uh, did you end up with like two like people that were like perfect? And then how did you kind of split the difference there with who you went with? So I narrowed it down to three of them, actually three Three. really good candidates. And I actually had a difficult time choosing between them. Ultimately, what made me decide was um, credit check. Normally, I don't put too much weight on it because I think that there's more to a person than just their credit check, but I needed something to help me decide. And one of them was in the 500. So I eliminated that person, basically. Yeah, Yeah. I see. Yeah, you got to find a way to filter through, right? And make that decision. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So for a new real estate investor, someone that maybe is going to do something like you guys did, which is awesome. What advice would you give them? If you guys could also touch on maybe a mistake that, you know, just something that you could give them some insight so they don't make the same mistake. In terms of advice, especially for somebody new, maybe a first time home buyer, somebody younger who's finding it, you know, maybe difficult sacrifice. I think we sacrifice a lot in our personal lives in order to kind of achieve buying our first property, right? Like we had a very strict budget that we created for ourselves just to help save for the down payment on the property. We gave up a lot of things like um, nice vehicles and stuff, vehicle payments, eating out a lot. What else? And and like we said, house hacking, like we don't want to be living with our tenants, but we know that we're going to be able to get more mortgages and we're going to reach our long-term goals if we're making sacrifices like that. So you have to be willing to make those sacrifices to reach your goals. If you're not going to go all in and put that effort in, then you're not going to get where you want to be. Yeah, definitely. A mistake. I think the biggest thing is like, you can't be afraid to make a mistake, honestly. Don't be afraid to make that mistake. Like for instance, we had a property we had under contract actually a couple months ago and it was last year sometime and we had got a contractor. It was going to be a big project. And we knew that from the beginning and we got a contractor in there to have a look at it, to quote us on it. And it was significantly more than we were going to be able to handle. And we recognized that. And although we didn't know that going into it and we kind of made a mistake about jumping in and getting it under contract we were not afraid to back out of it and kind of step away from it. Right. But I think it's more importantly, we weren't afraid to make that mistake. Like, okay, maybe we overstepped a little bit on this one, but we made a move anyways. Right. So I think don't be afraid to make a mistake. Yeah. Don't get stuck in an analysis paralysis where you don't do anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in your guys' opinion, what's the most attractive property for an investor and why? 
I think we kind of touched on that we like the semi-detached ones with the illegal suite in it, just because we feel like we can achieve market rents that are the same as something that's detached that has maybe $100,000 more of a purchase price. So we can cash flow better on those. I think our bonus one cash flow is around 800 after all expenses. Yeah, 800 after we refinance it. So it does really well. And if we'd bought it for, you know, we wouldn't be cash flowing nearly as much, but we'd pull in the same rents. So I think definitely the semi-detached ones are underrated. For sure. So now I'm going to ask a question more, a bit more personal, but what's it like being partners and working in real estate and how does that affect, you know, your life, I guess, your relationship, (laughs) right? It's awesome, actually. The nice part about it is that we were both got into it at the same time. We both came into this together. It wasn't one of us having this goals and ambitions and trying to drag the other one along and convince the other one to get into it. It was like, we were both right from the beginning, interested, motivated, and willing to dive into this. And so our experience has been really good. That being said, like, is there definitely days that are tough? Like, absolutely. Like Alicia had mentioned earlier, living in the flip as we were doing it, living in the renovation as we were doing it, like, you know, there were some days that were very difficult where it's hard to shut your brain off. It's hard to turn everything off. Right. But I think we have a very challenging schedule. Like he's gone for two weeks at once. He's back like six days out of a month and I work full time. So during that time that he's home and we're supposed to be, I guess, relaxing and having days off, we don't get those days off. So we have to be very good at communicating with each other and understanding when we're stressed and when we need to be working and just, yeah, I think communication is a huge thing. Like what are our goals, checking in with each other, helping out as much as we can and also staying in our own lane. So me handling kind of the social media, a bit more of the networking side, him handling the renovations, contractors, those sorts of things, and just respecting what we know best and helping out where we can. That's the biggest thing that's made us successful so far working together. Yeah, that's great advice. So being on the same page and obviously having the same goals is huge, right? So yeah, I mean, I don't think it could work for all partners out there. You did really have to have those conversations ahead of time and make sure you know, you're both want to head the same direction because it for sure adds stress to your relationship, right? It's going yep. to. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I have quite a few friends who invest in real estate that their partners aren't interested and there's nothing wrong with that at all. It can work well too, but I just feel grateful that both of us are interested in it and that we're in it together and that we have these goals because I think having two people try and reach them will get us there a little bit faster. For sure. Yeah. So with the Calgary markets pulling back, everybody knows, right? With interest rates climbing, we've seen inventory start to climb up. What are some challenges that you guys see as investors? And then what are some opportunities? So the challenges, I think I had mentioned it earlier, like the challenge that I see is that like house prices in Calgary and Alberta are not dropping as much as they are in other parts of the country. Therefore, it's like you're still having somewhat similar house pricing, a little bit less, but somewhat similar. But significantly higher interest rates. So now when you go to run your numbers on the property, a lot of these properties that were good cash flowing properties, you know, a couple of months ago, even six months ago, are now not really making sense because if you're financing and getting a mortgage, your mortgage is significantly more expensive than it was six months ago, right? And so it cuts into a lot of your cash flow in these deals. So I definitely see that as a challenge right now. And then I think if you're flipping a house and you have a six, maybe nine month timeline, you might've run into some issues with not 
meeting your ARV that you projected originally. Maybe the market's come down a little bit from what you thought when the market was super hot and you might be losing your profit. So I think that's something that could be a challenge to overcome for some people. We're not really in the flipping space, but I definitely know that that is something to think about. That's two good points. Yeah. I think flippers, you got to kind of calculate, you know, if the market pulls back, you got to calculate that in your purchase price, right? So you got to kind of factor that in in order to kind of give yourself that buffer if ARV isn't there in the end. For sure. Yeah, definitely. So we were chatting offline. Your first unit was legalized suite. The second one wasn't. Can we talk about that? The difference between the two, you know, you went and you legalized the second one, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you guys could share your experience about that. Yeah. Okay. So the legalization process for the second one was not terribly difficult, mainly because it was already considered an existing suite as the city of Calgary refers to it as. So what that means is that the suite was there prior to 2018, according to them. And when that is the case, the legalization process is a lot easier. They make it a lot easier to legalize a suite that's already been there. So the process involved opening a development permit with the city of Calgary. I just want to jump in though and say the reason we got a development permit was because we're not zoned properly for a suite. Yes, that's true. So the property is zoned RC1. So when you want to add a legal suite to it, it technically has to get rezoned for RC2. So the development permit is what allows that to happen. So we had to apply for the development permit and that with all the paperwork involved with that and their processes that took about three and a half months, I believe it was. And then there are certain criteria you need to make. And they have a list online on their website of the criteria they like want to see in a legal suite. And there's definitely like some main points in there. And to kind of go off of what we faced was they were very focused on having a sprinkler or a fireproof utility room. I don't believe they allow sprinklers anymore. I'm, no. They only allow drywall in your utility room now. We were one of the last ones that they allowed a sprinkler in. So we had sprinkler in our utility room. And then another one they gave us a lot of grief about was we only had one parking spot in the back off street. And for one of their criteria, they like to see two parking spots, one for each unit in the building. They were not willing to work with us on that at all. That was a pretty cut and dry, like you guys have to add this in, otherwise we will not approve this, right? So Um, so what did you do? Were you able to legalize or? Yeah, I was able to take out part of the backyard and basically reconfigure the fence and just basically expand the parking spot that was there. It was fairly easy. The one that was there previously was just gravel laid down. So it was fairly easy to just order. Once I had it all the landscaping done to just order gravel and kind of rake it all out and everything. So, but it's unfortunate because we lost a lot of our yard and that parking spot sits vacant. So, but you know, it is what it is. We had to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. So overall, like the process took about four months and it was a lot of like communication back and forth between the city of Calgary, back and forth and video calls, phone calls on the phone and then the price overall, I think by the time it was all said and done to take a, an illegal suite and turn it into a legal suite cost us about $5,000 altogether with all the work I had to do. So it was not a very expensive process at all. And then how does the city go about determining whether it was pre-2018? Like it's the city saying the suite had to be there prior to 2018 illegally, yep. right? Is that right? Yeah, that's yep. right. And I don't really know, to be honest, but what we have heard from some people is that one girl told us that 
the city came in and determined that her stove plug-in was dated after 2018. So they found oh. out that way. Another way that I've heard is if you pull a permit after 2018, like if they pulled any kind of basement development permit or anything, Plumbing, you can no longer electrical. legalize it. Yeah. 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 You can legalize it, but it just has to be done considered from scratch. Yeah. From scratch. Sorry. You can add a Sweden, but you cannot just legalize it. Like the way that we did it was a lot easier than adding a suite from scratch. We didn't have to do like when you add one from scratch, you have to do like soundproofing between the units they're a lot more strict on your entrances, your heights of your ceiling, your doors. They go in and look at a lot of that stuff too that you don't have to worry about when you're just legalizing one. Yeah. Same yeah. with what? heating, right? Heating, heating can also yes. be a I was, just, yeah. I was just gonna say that's one of the biggest ones is like they want two separate sources of heating for the upstairs and the downstairs unit. So that one can get pretty expensive yeah. when you're doing that one. So but yeah, to go back on your question, it's like they'll look at the permits if any permits have been pulled recently for plumbing or electrical. And in a lot of cases, like Alicia just mentioned, you can walk into somewhere and almost know right away if this has been done in the last year or two, or if this kitchen has been here for like 25, 30 years, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, usually the cabinets tell you right yeah. away. <laughs> exactly. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting too with the plug about them looking at the electrical plug date. To yeah. See little little sneaky things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Good information to know for sure. Mm -hmm. So what would you guys say would be the pros and some cons to actually for people out there that are looking to legalize an illegal suite? So some of the pros would be, um, for instance, if you wanted to do an Airbnb in your basement suite, which is starting to become very popular, the city of Calgary, first off, makes sure that you have to have a business license from them. They will not allow Airbnb in the city if you do not have a business license approved by city of Calgary. On that same note, they will not allow a business license for an illegal suited property. The suite needs to be legal, and that's the only way you'll get approved for Airbnb in that suite. So when it comes to Airbnb, definitely hosts are looking for suited properties. Another pro is when you're qualifying for more mortgages and you have a legal suite, the banks tend to use your income as separate income for the upstairs and downstairs unit versus if you have an illegal suite, they tend to use the entire house as one form of rental income. And that tends to be lower than the two separate suites. So that's another pro to it. Yeah. Sometimes as well too, for insurance purposes, correct? Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> okay. So then I guess some of the cons though, I guess, to legalizing the suite there is not a ton of incentive from the city of Calgary to legalize your suite. Unless you got a very, very bad suite, like it's being heavily neglected, it's getting complaints from neighbors because maybe the people in there are being rowdy or something. The city of Calgary right now is not going out and seeking out these illegal suites and shutting them down. And on that same note, they make the process kind of painful. It's a minimum three month process. And you're going back and forth with them constantly. In our instance, we had a case where our case manager that was handling our specific legalization either quit or something happened and the case got passed along to somebody else. And we almost had to like resubmit everything, start all over again. And then it seems like different case managers will focus sometimes on different aspects of criteria you need to meet. So maybe one manager is focusing on making sure you have two off-street parking stalls, whereas another one is really heavily focused on, I want to make sure those bedroom windows are a proper size for egress in an emergency, right? So it can be a very frustrating process at times. And then at the end of the day, another con to it was our property tax actually increased because now we 
technically have two units in one building. It didn't increase a lot, but it did increase a little bit. And now that takes away from our monthly cash flow. Yeah. And so certain communities have rental demand, therefore having suites in the properties will make your property worth more, but there's certain communities that are kind of more homeowners that live in them, like the one that we're in right now. So the people who are looking to buy the property don't put that much value on having a suite. And sometimes when you're adding a suite from scratch, it could be $120,000. You're not going to see that back in a purchase price. So that could be a con too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I'm going to move into quick questions and just like a quick answer response. What's the software you guys just couldn't live without or an app? I'm going to say Google Drive. I'm going to say Canva. Okay, if someone were to Google you guys, what's something they can't find out about you on Google? I've always been super big into cars and I used to ride motorcycles. Cool. I love playing our VR headsets. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool too. Yeah. Okay, and what's a favorite book of your guys's? Mine would be Never Split the Difference. And mine is Think and Grow Rich. Yeah, nice. Those are both good books. And what kind of activities do you guys do outside of real estate investing? I used to be into fitness competitions. So the gym is a big part of my life. And that's something that we both do a lot of. Yeah, both of us like love yeah. the gym. We value that physical activity and time outside. It's also a very good way to de-stress sometimes from especially like real estate and uh, the busy lifestyle of that. We also golf, tennis. I think that's about it. Nice. Well, thanks so much, guys, for joining me today. It's been great having you on the show. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you and contact you? So um, Instagram is the best way. We're very active on there. And our Instagram handle is heelsandhammer underscore. And uh, yeah, we're always looking forward to talking to new people on there. And thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much, Corey. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent. I also have a certification as a master home inspector. I'm currently partnering on a property flip in Calgary with Shirley Evans, who I consider to be a professional property flipper. Shirley has a wealth of real estate knowledge. We're going to be offering Eventbrite meetups at the property. So if you're in the Calgary area, we'd love for you to stop by and check it out. If you'd like to reach out to me directly, my number is 587-893-2272. You can follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey or check out my website and that's just CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, you can also join our new Facebook group, Calgary Real Estate Investing Group. That's Craig for short. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.